0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontefrag. Today, wow, Terrence Mori. Hello, Terrence. Um, Terrence is a UK-based, Hi, Dan. Yeah, he's a UK-based writer, speaker, and mentor, global expert, with who helps business leaders sorry, innovate, adapt, uh, and succeed in the age of disruption. We're going to spend a lot of time on the word disruption in which massive yet hard to predict upheavals are expected. He's an Inc. Magazine columnist, Inc. Top 100 keynote speaker, author of the best-selling book, The Leader's Mindset, How to Win in the Age of Disruption. He's a professor of Creative Labs at IE Business School, regular contributor on the telly, as we say, and on radio, and is the founder of Hack Future Lab, a global think tank. Terence holds thinker and residence roles at MIT and London Business School, and is the author of the global bestseller, How to Win in the Age of Disruption described as a game changer by Harvard Business School. He's one of the most in-demand disruption thinkers out there in the world. Terrence inspires leaders ultimately to thrive in the age of disruption. Terrence, my friend, thank you for taking the time today. So good to see you. Now, you have one line that I have uh, looked at, viewed, reviewed, stuck with me. It's kind of like one of those tattoos that are subliminal. And uh, that line is, Not taking a risk is a risk. So tell me a little bit about that line. Let's unpack that, tackle that first, and then we're going to get into a whole bunch more stuff. So what does not taking a risk is a risk mean to you?
1: Dad? great to be on your show. And this is such a critical question. If we're lucky, we get to live for about 80 years of age. That's just 960 months. And we waste a lot of time. It's never been easier to waste energy and waste time. And this idea of not taking a risk as a risk came out because we waste so much energy. We waste so much time on the wrong priorities and on shallow leadership at the expense of deep leadership. The idea behind this as a frame is that we always overestimate the risk of trying something new and underestimate the risk of standing still idea is that today is the slowest sort will ever be in our lifetime that creates tremendous risk but also tremendous opportunity and actually what is taking a risk well it's growth it's learning it's it's courage it's speak up over silence it's initiative it's about feeling more alive and more empowered and this is the framing of, of, of why this 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 phrase that this this call to action is so close to my heart and i speak about it a lot all around the world
0: all right, well, let's, uh, let's demarcate a little bit from that. And uh, like you, uh, a bunch of my work deals specifically with HR, uh, people in culture, you know, the leaders inside of those organizations that are you know, helping to move the needle, if you will, on the culture, the employee experience. And then you know, maybe perhaps you as well, the other half of your work is sort of non-HR, you know, executives, organizations, what have you. Is there a difference, do you see Terrence, in how HR and people and culture leaders ought to be taking that line. And what I mean by this is, do you feel that HR and people and culture need to take more risks with how and, and, and what they're doing to in, you know, increase, if you will, the culture, the employee experience?
1: Such an interesting and reflective question. I spent some time recently working with the senior HR leadership team of a big pharma company And I asked them, what was one of the biggest regrets? What would they do differently next time they were embarking on a transformation effort of the HR function? And they said to me, not taking taking enough risks, not not making enough bold bets. You know, thinking bold and, and taking risks is always less risky than doing the same thing over and over again, an outdated mindset, the old ways of doing things or the old ways of thinking. And the big idea is that, you know, mindsets, business models, work models, assumptions are going off like yogurt in the fridge. <laughs> um, you know, most leaders are trapped in 20th century mindsets and orthodoxes. And so unlearning the always done ways, as the rate of change accelerates, and we can all agree that, you know, acceleration is, is here to stay. As the rate of change and the rate of uncertainty uh, and the rate of turbulence increases, the rate of unlearning and relearning should also increase. And so this seems to be a blind spot, for not just leaders, but HR leaders as well. That we're very good at adding layers of complexity, more bureaucracy, more meetings, more complexity, but we have a bias against subtraction, against letting go and against taking risks. And so my mandate, my call to action is, you know, think about what you're doing, think about where you add value, think about where you need to take more risks in order to reimagine relevancy, and to create more value and more growth.
0: So interestingly, then, do you believe, or what is it that perhaps, again, that the organization needs to do, whether it's HR, people in culture, what have you, Terrence, you know, that that kind of notion where you've, you've, you've waxed lyrical several times about the kind of delineation or the demarcation between curiosity and conformity, and where the kind of culture of conformity is where whether it's HR or leaders in general, kind of like almost refuse to take that risk. They refuse to challenge the status quo. They refuse ultimately to say no, as you're suggesting. So where what can we learn from some of your uh, research and, and your interviewing and your discussions and your keynoting from that, I guess, dichotomy between the curiosity and the conformity?
1: I spent some time recently working with Pfizer and the CEO, Albert Baller, He's gone big on fighting complexity, not with complexity, but with simplicity. And this idea of lightning speed behaviors. And in very simple terms, it means courage, it means equity, it means excellence, and it means joy at work. And a central part of this new platform, this bold platform of reimagination is to conduct quarterly unlearning hackathons where teams across different geographies, different cultures um, come together. This is a 150,000-person enterprise, by the way. But teams come come together in a really meaningful way to share stories. There's There's this idea that plans inform, stories inspire. And they share stories of their proudest unlearning they frame what it is they wanted to unlearn. So for example, it could be lousy meetings, it could be broken processes, it could be ways of conducting performance management or ways of uh, um, coaching. And then they talk about what they did to systematically unlearn that. And then finally, what was the outcome or the result? What that intervention has done is it created massive levels of psychological safety. Uh, Amy Edmondson talks about of people in organizations still feel they don't have a voice. This is a massive problem if you're looking to unlock return on investment, but also return on intelligence. And so at Pfizer, they've really gone big on psychological safety, uh, curiosity at scale. The idea that actually conformity at scale becomes the default, especially when you become a big, mature organization. And this idea of unlearning the always done ways by sharing stories so that failure is not a badge of shame but a badge of humility and this is a, an inspirational that i'm currently working with and i think there's some big lessons for every organization out there big or small public or private which is what are you doing to unlearn the always done ways what are you doing to fight cultures of conformity which is the default for most organizations and what can you do to start activating curiosity right at the human level? Because one of the best ways to outpace these forces of disruption, whether it's workforce disruption, business model disruption, uh, industry disruption, is to be a learner, not a knower, to be curious, not to be a conformer.
0: Wow, that's some serious insights there, uh, both on your own reflection and with Pfizer there, Terrence. Um, one, of the, one of the sidebar questions I have for you then uh, you know, Satya Nadella, ultimately of Microsoft and of a CEO of Microsoft, you know, once he kind of was elevated to the CEO role, said, our organization is a bunch of know-it-alls. We need to become a bunch of learn-it-alls. And sort of your point your point and insights into Pfizer and your reflection reminded me of that. It also reminded me of um, Alvin Toffler. It sounds like Pfizer is very much of that uh, adage that he's known for, where, You know our our responsibility i'm paraphrasing ultimately our responsibility is to unlearn what we've learned so we can relearn a new way and i think what that stems uh toward i suppose terence though is trust so would you argue against or for that your organization would have to work on kind of that 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 trust factor in order to be so vulnerable and to demonstrate such humility in you know having hackathons to break things into to become more simplified in the way operations are are organized
1: if there's one thing that our listeners and viewers take away today it would be that you know to really go big on trust trust is the ultimate human currency when you've got high levels of trust vertically and horizontally it allows that uh, you know your teams to navigate uncertainty it reduces the fear of risk People are more likely to learn and experiment and take and and make bets into the future. And it's it's about taking these trust leaps into the future. So we need to go big on truth, trust, and transparency. And there's a massive trust decline. If we look at different research coming out of McKinsey or Endelman, we can see that we're suffering record levels of truth decay, not just in society, but in our economics and in our institutions, in our education and in our companies as well. And so a call to arms for every leader would be to understand where, are, where is the, what are the current levels of trust capital within your organization across the stakeholder mix? And what are you doing to amplify and protect and sustain the highest levels of trust in order for psychological safety to take place, innovation, and leadership? Trust is the foundation. It's the North Star.
0: Well, if humans have truth uh, decay, perhaps they also have tooth decay. So they go to a dentist. (laughs) So maybe with truth decay, they go to Terrence Morey. That's what I'm thinking here, my friend. (laughs) I I think so. Yes. (laughs) I love that truth. Truth decay. I love it. Okay. So, um, you know, you've spent so much time analyzing, working with like companies and CEOs and C-suites and HR leaders, etc. What is... In your opinion, these days, Terrence, you know, we're still in the midst of this pandemic. It's not going away fast, of course. What is the workplace of the future in your mind? Is it today? And what are we doing to inculcate those right behaviors and factors and attributes to indeed, you know, define and deploy uh, what you'll call the workplace of the future?
1: I recently got invited to speak at the Nordic Business Forum about this theme, this idea of what does the future of work, the workplace and the workforce look like? And I think it's fluidity. It's about continuous evolution. In Japan, there's a word called henka. And I really love this word henka. And and language is important. And, you know, for example, henka means continuous transformation and evolution. Um, It means transcendence. It's like a caterpillar to a butterfly, oil to water. And as human beings, as organisations, we should adopt this attitude of henker, continuous learning, growth, reimagination. And I think, in terms of this question of what does the future of work look like, fluidity. So what I mean by that is human-led, but tech-enabled, intentionally diverse. It's impossible to innovate. It's impossible to serve our customers. It's impossible to have a healthy ecosystem without diversity, cognitive diversity, cultural diversity. Gender diversity, so intentionally diverse, purpose driven. We need to radiate the highest levels of purpose and trust. And also, we need to build organizations that are nimble and focus on agility. And we hear a lot about this word agility, but what I mean by that is not just bouncing back from adversity, but um, you know, building in this sort of anti fragility element, which Nassim Taleb talks about, which is to grow, anticipate and grow. From adversity. And so these will be some elements, some symbiotic elements that are connected together that will define the workforce of the future. Fluid, uh, flexible, um, fortitude, and a real focus on what makes us more human. This is the augmented future. So I think it's about really looking at what we do, automating the parts of the work, the parts of the, the job that are routine and mechanical anyway, and elevating. What makes us more human? So that's intelligence, uh, humility, it's compassion, it's innovation, it's imagination. I speak a lot in my book about ROI, which I define not just as return on investment, but this new human metric for the future of work, return on intelligence, a cognitive organization where you create cultures that empower people to run at the hardest problems. And they have the tool sets, the mindsets, the heart sets to solve those challenges. If you've got an organization that has high levels of return on intelligence, return on imagination, return on integrity, you're gonna create an organization that's a talent magnet. These would be some initial thinkings around what that future of work model might look like.
0: You write also about, uh, amongst all those other factors, you know, the, the DRI, the directly kind of responsible individual, Terrence. And with that, you know, a, a great link towards, as you talked about humanity and being more human, agency. So I wanted to get your yes. thoughts on what you believe organizations and senior leaders ought to be doing uh, in an attempt to uh, not create the factors whereby, as you've written about and I agree, that there are you know, false or fake empowerment uh, ideals yes. where it's like, that, that's not really empowerment. We're sort of talking a good game, but not really actioning it, but indeed moving towards agency, which is far more about that autonomy, that free will, that decision-making, maybe the ultimate decision doesn't go in your way, but you're at least involved, right, in the lead up, and the discussion and the information sharing to get to a decision. So all of that to say, where's your take and what do we need to do with agency these days, Terrence?
1: Daniel Kahneman, um, psychologist said, we are blind to our own blindness. And I think purpose is a big blind spot at an individual level and an enterprise level. Research coming out of MIT and Hat Future Lab, who I collaborate with, shows that less than 23% of leaders say they have a really well-defined leadership purpose. And it doesn't stop there. Less than 43% of folks say that they don't have an activated why, that they get to put to work in a meaningful, relevant way on an everyday basis. That's the big problem, because in these times of confusion, in these times where we have battles for our attention, in these times of overload and overwhelm and burnout, even bore out, which is cognitive underload as opposed to cognitive overload. Purpose, again, is another North Star alongside trust. I spent some time recently working with Hermes, the fashion company, and their history goes back over 200 years, a very purpose-driven company. But like most great phoenixes, it's realized that in order to win the future, it needs to reinvent itself today. And what it's done is collaborated with a biotech company called MycoWorks to develop a new material called mycelium which is a a sort of environmentally friendly alternative to leather. As part of that, the leaders are going big on three things, context setting, agency setting, Uh and direction setting. And the idea is, as organizations get bigger, they become more bureaucratic. So bureaucratic bloat goes up. Michele Zanini and Gary Hamel talk about BMI, bureaucratic mass index, being over 83% with companies with 1,000 people or more. So at Hermes, they go big on this sort of uh, big on agency setting and direction setting and context setting. And what that means is pushing outwards decision rights, pushing out freedom and responsibility, Uh, going bigger on risk tolerance, because that's often a pain point uh, for most organizations. And it means asking more human centric questions. So some I've made a list of include, do we minimize or maximize freedom and responsibility? Do we commodify or humanize the work experience? Do we make the invisible visceral? Do we bind trust to freedom and responsibility? And what are we doing to strengthen human brilliance? These are some of the big questions that the leaders of Hermes are not just thinking about, but asking every day in order to elevate energy and empowerment and really get people believing that they can do it. They're activated to make decisions, take risks, and go big on learning. And that's what you, you know, I think this is the secret sauce if you want to create organizations that attract and retain talent, but also serve the communities and make a positive difference.
0: I think you just nailed that on the head, because what we're trying to do is attract the right people. And hopefully those right people are the ones that can connect the dots between both the sense of self, i.e. meaning and the organization's purpose. But connect that. They, they, they're sorry. They're going to want to join Terrence, I, I suppose. Right. An organization that believes in agency, which is not that fake empowerment that actually believes yes. in the truth bomb that, look, uh, we trust you. Uh, we all want to hit our targets, et cetera, our goals, our product lines, what have you, but we trust you. And that, that is by, uh, I guess, I suppose, um, a correlated factor. That's, that's where agency comes from. Uh, is that fair? This is, this is it. So
1: at Hermes, um, you know, th- th- there's this idea that you know, guardrails and boundaries, and it's important, important to know the, detail, uh, the differences there. And Your agency means that you created a culture where risk tolerance is high, psychological safety is high, failure is framed as a growth opportunity. And actually, this is about prioritizing autonomy over control, moving from bossed to unbossed, something that Novartis, the pharma company, talks about a lot and actually puts into practice as well. I think, look, to to win the future where the future arrives faster than ever before, your biggest competitor in the next five years could come from an industry or a vertical completely adjacent to yours. Look at how Apple has now jumped into a new market, buy now, pay later. And look at how Amazon has just bought one of the biggest medical companies in America. These companies are able to pivot and attack adjacent verticals very quickly. So unless you're empowering everybody vertically and horizontally to bring their boldest, brightest self to the job where they are have high levels of agency to um, tackle problems, to innovate, to take risks, to experiment, you're not going to have enough cognitive capacity to be able to compete in this new meta. And that's got nothing to do with Facebook. <laughs>
0: Uh, I guess my, my, my penultimate question before we find out where to learn more about you and your brilliant mind. So is everything that you've said in the last 20 odd minutes or so then, is that sort of the leading towards or is the outcome, you know, the scalability factor? Is that how we become more inclusive or sustainable in our work? Is that how we create environments and cultures whereby the employee, the team member, you know, really love what they do?
1: Oliver Sacks, the late psychiatrist, spoke about three buckets that are fundamental for not just a a, a good life, but working, uh, contributing, and making a real difference in society and within the companies that we work uh, work in. The first one is uh, belonging. Do I feel connected? Is there meaning? Is there a strong sense of we? So connection and belonging. Number two was um, believing. What do you believe in? You know, the higher the state of your purpose, radiating purpose, feeling that you're getting to your, pu- your purpose to work in a meaningful way, that makes a big difference. You, pu- you have a big purpose dividend, which is high levels of life satisfaction, high levels of resilience, and high levels of profitability as well when you have purpose in place. So number two is really about, um, you know, this, this sense, strong sense of purpose, believing. The final bucket that Oliver Sack spoke about was be- um, becoming. You know, so we're in this continuous state of beta, henker, transformation. What are we growing into? Like a, uh, a lobster, one of the um, calls to action is Be More Lobster. A lobster goes through a transformation process which requires courage, growth, and vulnerability. It's called exodusus. What it means is that every two years, it gets too big for its shell. That causes a lot of discomfort. The only way for the lobster to grow and to survive is to break out of its shell. And it does that through this process of exodices. For a couple of days, it's extremely vulnerable. It means taking risks. It means showing vulnerability and also courage. But the end of that transformation process, it's grown. And I think in a way, as as a metaphor for our listeners and viewers, we need to be more lobster in our own lives, growing into these new shells, because that creates future resiliency. It's also a platform for future growth.
0: Good gosh, I could perhaps chat with you for hours. Please uh, assure me we can do this again sometime in the near future. Um, What an incredible example of varying degrees of metamorphosis inside of our organizations that we require whether one is a, a rock lobster, uh, if you will, if you like the B-52s, um, or, or indeed any other exogenous skeleton that's uh, inside our orcs, Terence, thanks for this. Where, uh, where can we find more about you and, as I mentioned, your brilliant mind?
1: So, remember, not taking a risk is a risk. And I think um, there's a couple of platforms. So, first of all, my website, terencemowry.com. Um, My books are on Amazon, so The 3D Leader, Take Your Leadership to the Next Dimension, and The Leader's Mindset, How to Win in the Age of Disruption. And then I have a strong collaboration with Thinkers50, a global community of thinkers, where on a monthly basis, uh, research is published in partnership with Thinkers50, covering a whole range of leadership themes from cultures of curiosity versus cultures of conformity, right through to questions such as, Are you writing your future success headlines today? And thinking big, thinking bold, thinking brave. These would be some initial um, resources, platforms to check out. And I've loved uh, having our conversation today, Dan, and looking forward to next time.
0: I love it. Good shout out there as well to Thinkers50. And if Stuart and Des are listening in, uh, hat tip to those two for building up quite, uh, quite a community of thinkers around the world. Terrence uh amazing thank you so much uh, look forward to the next one all the best and i can't wait to go cycling with you at some point uh, in in lake como
1: thank you so much dan thank you
0: thanks everyone that's another episode of leadership now with the one and only terrence Mowry. Uh, look forward to another one with terrence at some point in the near future